Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. What's up, family? How's everybody doing today? Good. Happy Memorial Day weekend, whether you're here in the house or online, kind of the kickoff of summer. Anybody love summer? Come on. Anybody in here love lake life? I love the lake. I love wakeboarding. I love surfing. I love, if, you, if you've never surfed, you've got to figure this thing out, okay? You've got to get to it because it is one of the funnest things you can do behind a boat. Uh, what else is going on in the summertime? Anybody going to Map City this summer? Come on. Hey, if you want to see a worship event, go see Maverick City this summer. I think it's the end of June it's happening. There's a lot going on in the summertime, and, and I'm really excited for it. I've been really excited about this series. I, I think this series has been amazing. And this morning, I get the privilege of sharing an incredible, life-giving biblical truth, okay, that there's more. There's more when we live a life of generosity in a culture of selfishness. I'm going to take those off. At first glance, I think everybody in the room, first of all, when I say that, generosity and selfishness, you go, okay, well, I mean, that makes sense. We all want to be generous. I'm a pretty generous person. I mean, I gave my my cousin five bucks yesterday, so I'm generous. And and who wants to be selfish? Nobody is a self-proclaimed selfish person and is happy about it. Yeah, I'm selfish. No, people don't do that. That's the funny thing about selfishness. What I want to propose to you guys today is that really there's a battle that happens within us every single day, and it happens in our hearts, and it's causing us to minimize the extravagant generosity that Jesus calls us to. To begin with, I thought it might be fun just to take a little quiz. Let's just kind of, let's see where you are on the selfishness scale, okay? So here's a little test. You, you keep count. How many of these, okay? Do you struggle with giving up the remote? Selfish, okay? Have you ever not answered the phone because you were afraid someone was going to ask something of you or want to talk about their problems? Ah, come on. Have you ever hidden a certain food item from your family or roommates because you wanted it all for yourself? Guilty. Nutter Butters, come on. Mm. Have you ever been interrupted on your weekend with a request from a friend? And you did it, but you weren't happy about it. Have you ever come across a friend or a stranger, someone in need, and in your head, you came up with the excuses of why I shouldn't help? Oh, they're going to spend it on drugs. Or they're just going to go get alcohol. Students, have you ever ever been asked to do something by your parents and you fought them on it because you already took out the trash? Huh? Have you ever been presented with an opportunity to serve others and said, I'm too busy. Somebody else will do it. Lastly, have you had someone ask to borrow a possession of yours and you gave an excuse why they couldn't when really there wasn't one? Selfishness. We don't wake up and look in the mirror and think to ourselves, I am selfish. Maybe you do. 
If so, the prayer team's gonna be up here afterwards. You can come down. <laughs> Selfishness is a bit more sneaky. It creeps into our lives. It hides in the deepest places of our heart. You don't necessarily see it. You can't look around the room and go, selfish, ah, selfish, not selfish. We don't wear a sign on our forehead because it can be camouflaged easily as self-preservation, self-love, great time management, great money management. Oh, they're preparing for the future. We have a thousand excuses for our selfishness. And those excuses move in slowly, but like anything else, if it's allowed to take hold in secret, it can take a heart that is generous and good and light and turn it into one that is selfish and dark and heavy. Let me just tell you this, guys. This isn't a new thing, if you haven't noticed. If you've read your word, you know it. Going all the way back to the very beginning, whether it's in the garden with Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, you remember that story. It's literally in the fourth chapter of Genesis. Cain was a man of the soil. His brother Abel took care of the flocks. They both bring an offering to God. Abel brings the first fruits, the fat part of the meat of his flock and gives it to God and God is happy. And Cain brings something just a little bit more selfish. He goes on to kill his brother over it. In Matthew 19, you remember the story of the rich young ruler, right? Comes to Jesus. He's this upstanding guy. He goes to church. He does all the things right. Popular in the community. He's got money. And he says, Jesus, what? What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, follow the commandments. And Oh, I do that. But there's something inside him that's wanting something just a little bit more. And Jesus knows what it is, so he tells him, go sell all your possessions, give it to the poor, and come and follow me. And, and the Bible says he walks away sad. Why? Because this is the thing that's hidden that nobody can really see. Money has gotten a hold of his heart. Selfishness has gotten a hold of his heart. He holds on to the things of life, so much so that it's keeping him from truly walking with God. In just the, the next chapter in Matthew 20, remember the story of James and John, the two disciples, nonetheless. And I love this story. It makes me laugh every single time I read it. James and John and their mother, okay, come up to Jesus. And to me, it's like an old scene from a Godfather movie. Mother comes, kneels before Jesus. Would you do me a favor? You know, if you could... James and John, on your left, on your right, in heaven, I mean, you help me, I help you, you know? I mean, it's this moment, literally, Jesus has got to be, I cannot, well, he says, you don't even know what you're asking. And then he says, well, let's see, you don't even know what you're asking? And then he says, Tim, blanked here, he says, can you drink the cup that I'm going to drink? And James and John, what do they do? Yes, we can. So not only are they struggling with selfishness, but they're also struggling with the evil stepsister of pride. They have no idea where Jesus is getting ready to go. I truly believe this is something we all struggle with in one form or fashion. 
It doesn't necessarily help that we grow up in a culture that celebrates the accumulation of money and possessions and puts the emphasis on the self as being the most important person in your world. There's a battle, and it's happening every single day inside our hearts. And you may not even notice it. Let me show you what I mean. This is Martha. And Martha, she's a wonderful person, loves Jesus, tries her best to be good and right and true, and today is a good day. Because today is McDonald's Day. One of her favorite days. Yes, every Tuesday, Martha stops by McDonald's for a large fries and a Coke and comes to her favorite park bench outside of her office where she sits quietly and enjoys every MSG morsel of goodness <laughs> that is sprinkled in fairy dust and peanut oil, coupled perfectly with the sweet nectar of a McDonald's Coke through a McDonald's straw, which everyone knows is secretly manufactured to a scientifically perfect circumference by which the Coca-Cola can breathe enough to give maximum flavor beyond any other medium of drinking Coca-Cola. This, my friends, for Martha, is a perfect day. Now on this perfect day, while enjoying her perfect snack, Martin comes along, a co-worker she's familiar with, and he just so happens to love this park bench as well, which in all honesty throws off Martha just a little bit, because now at least one other person knows that she is secretly divulging in McDonald's fries and a Coke. And strangely for Martha, this experience has been downgraded to a 9.5. But still personally extremely satisfying. For a few moments, all is well. Niceties are exchanged. Martin seems very kind and harmless. He seems wrapped up in his book, which is a good thing, because Martha is enjoying her fries and Coke and does not have space in this experience to conversate fruitlessly. A woman only has so much time in a day to herself. She calms herself down and sinks back, back into her joy. Moments pass, the sun moves, and then suddenly it hits Martha. Surely he does not want one of my fries. I mean, he sees me eating them. Surely he knows their worth. Oh, how dare he? Yes, the first sign of selfishness. Ownership of a non-perishable commodity. First her conversation, then her beloved fries. This is where the Holy Spirit normally whispers. And for most of us at first whisper, we try to ignore it or flick him off the shoulder. But then it happens. You start to feel your heart begin to shrink. It's slow, but for the fake sake of time, we're speeding it up. Some would wonder if it's the excess of MSG morsels of goodness over the years. But no, it's selfishness. Why should I have to share these? These are mine. This is my hidden joy. Each one of these babies I truly care about and bring me such fulfillment and purpose. How could I even get through life without them? Oh, how could he? Seriously, depriving me of the thing I look forward to almost more than anything else in my week. Second sign of selfishness, 
complete over-exaggeration of how important said objects, material possessions, and emotional experiences are for our personal pleasure. The hard part is we all do this, putting too much emphasis in our lives of things, of our time, of our resources. And if you stay in this place, selfishness can take over your heart, your soul, turn you into someone you don't want to be. In the moment, in the struggle, in the fight internally for Martha, she hears that voice again, that whisper of a different way. It's better to give than to receive. And in a reversal of fortunes and a Holy Spirit intervention, excuse me, Martin, would you like some McDonald's fries and maybe a Coke? I bought an extra just in case. I don't think I'm going to need them. I like to be prepared in case it's a hot day or I'm really hungry. Notice the layers of selfishness that are slowly breaking away off of Martha's heart. Now to this moment, Martin has had a good day, nice and peaceful. The sun is shining. He is truly enjoying his book, Clean Eating. But because he doesn't want to steal the joy of this precious child of God with such a pure heart, he decides to accept, and then it happens. One touch to the tongue, and the rush of joy and sodium enters his bloodstream like a freight train on the way to Happy Town. And what was a good day has now turned into an amazing day because of the immense generosity and kindness of one semi-stranger who has a lot of weird facial and body expressions. Martin can now hear the birds chirping louder. The sky seems so much bluer in the big decision that he had of whether to help a friend in need has now become so much clearer. Because if this strange girl can share these MSG morsels of goodness and a super size of this sweet nectar from God, then I can share all that God has given me. And life is good. You see, when generosity invades our soul and pours into another, something amazing happens. Not only does one feel the joy of giving, but it has a direct impact on another and opens their heart. And now they are more than 73.7% more likely to be generous with someone in their life. And life goes on and on and on. Give it up for Corey and TJ. So let me ask you, anybody in here struggle with selfishness? Anyone? We joke, but seriously guys, as followers of Jesus, he calls us. He calls us to something different in this life. And this morning I want to show you an example of extravagant generosity and why it's possible for us right here and now to get to that place of being someone who is extremely and extravagantly generous. Everybody ready? Okay, first of all, I'm gonna take you back to a story that Caleb actually shared last week. What he didn't know and what I didn't know is we both were sent to the same passage of scripture. And I was gonna change it up after he used it last week and I thought, you know what? I feel like God has us here for a reason. 
and has us here for a purpose. He challenged you last week to go and read Ruth. Five, six chapters. If you haven't done it, maybe get into it this week because maybe there's something God is wanting to get across to you. So, for those that weren't here last week, let me just give you a quick background. We have three women. Naomi, mother, and then her daughters. Her daughters-in-law. There we go. And each of them is married, but at war, they all get killed. And so it's left to the three of them. And this is not a good period in time to be single, a single woman, and particularly an older single woman. So Naomi tells Ruth and Orpah, not Oprah and not Orca like the whale, but Orpah, Orpah, to go back to your homeland. Go back to your family. Go back to your culture. Go back to your people. You're still young. You still have a lot of life left of you. You can remarry. And at first, they both say, no, 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 no. We're going to stay with you, Naomi. She pushes a little bit more, and Orpah decides to head back to her own land. And she's left with Ruth. And you'll remember from last week, this is what Ruth replied to Naomi. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that truth, or excuse me, that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. I want you to notice the generosity of Ruth, okay? Because this isn't just a small thing. We're talking about a woman who is away from her mother and her father and her sister and her, her brother, from cousins, from probably a best friend that she left at some point. And she's been giving this offer to go back to all of that. Even she, she served, a, she's a Moabite. So she served different gods. And she's given this opportunity to return to that easily. Naomi is opening the door, saying, go. But in an act of extravagant generosity, she says, no. No. I am going to be beside you. I am going to walk with you. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. Guys, this is the stuff that movies are made of. And they didn't have movies back then, so what did they do? This story has been told over and over and over until it was turned into a book, and this book made its way into the Word of God. Why? Because there's something about this story that speaks of who our Heavenly Father is. This idea of extravagant generosity. So now, we have the story of Ruth and her extravagant generosity. I want to take you to the New Testament. If you've got your Bible, I want you to open up to 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 11. And if you don't have this passage of Scripture underlined in your Bible, I want you to do it. Matter of fact, go home, write this on a card, stick it on your wall. Why? Because I, I truly believe this passage of Scripture, it's really a law of life. Take generosity out of it. This is a Scripture that is going to help you in every situation in your life, okay? Chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, 
not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I actually like the Passion Translation of that portion. It says, let giving flow from your heart, not from a sense of religious duty. Let it spring up freely from the joy of giving, because God loves hilarious generosity. Isn't that cool? Now back to the NIV version. And when you do this, when you give, God is able to bless you abundantly so that at all things, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. This idea of reaping and sowing, it actually comes from farming. And you can literally search this in the Old Testament and there are hundreds of verses that use this term reaping and sowing If a farmer had really good seeds, they might be really tempted to be really cautious with them and just lightly put a few seeds in. But the problem was when it came to harvest time, that crop would be anemic. It would be thin. It would not bring a good harvest. But if that farmer sowed his seeds generously, more than he needed to, and put exactly what the ground needed, then all of a sudden when that harvest came up, it was robust and it was full. And the harvest is a great harvest. Whoever sows sparingly reaps sparingly. And whoever sows generously reaps generously. This principle that Paul shares, like I said, it has so much to do with life in general. In school, in your career, in your relationships, if you give little effort, you're going to get little in return. Students, when you give C effort, guess what? You get C grades. If you give little of your heart, you're most likely going to receive little from others. If you sow sparingly with your time, people probably are only going to give you a certain amount of theirs as well. But the opposite is true. If you give maximum effort, A effort, then you're going to get maximum results, most likely A grades, students. If you give a little of your heart, or excuse me, if you give all of yourself in relationships, if you truly give your love away without expecting things in return, guess what? If you sow generously, you're going to reap generously. That love is going to come back. In your careers, if you give your best, if you do what no God is calling you to do with all of your heart, then you're going to get the rewards of that. And if you give generously in life, of all that you have, you are going to receive generously from God. I think a lot of people, they hear that and they go, well, I don't give so that I can get back. But the reality is this is how the kingdom of God works. You have a father who wants to bless you. He wants to bless your life. And this idea is, is he's calling us to this extreme generosity. And when that happens, there is a reaction that happens to that, that God wants to bless your life even more abundantly. Whoever sows sparingly, reaps sparingly. Whoever sows generously, reaps generously. Ruth saw the evidence of this passage of Scripture. Now, you have to think that Ruth was probably pretty new to the faith at that point. She really had only heard about this God 
by being around Naomi. Because you remember, she was a Moabite. So, so soon in her walk, she's figured something out that for some of us might take a lifetime. The idea of extreme generosity. She gave everything she had, gave up everything to be with Naomi, to care for her. And what happened in return? When she gets back to Bethlehem, she, she tells Naomi, she's, she searches out a field so she can find some leftover grain. Remember, the harvesters come by. They, they take all of the good stuff, and what's left behind is kind of left for the oppressed and the poor, and they kind of come behind. It's not necessarily a good situation. A lot of time, landowners didn't like those people. So they would come, they would beat them, they would rape the women. It wasn't a great situation. But somehow she ends up in Boaz's field, who's a follower of God who happens to be there that day and asks about who's the young woman in the field. And the stories have already circulated about the fact that Ruth has given her life to take care of Naomi, who's from the clan of Elimelech as well, as Boaz is. So he invites her over to dinner with the harvesters and gives her some extra food that she takes home to Naomi. And Naomi kind of sees what's happening here and kind of gives her some advice. Hey, tonight Boaz is going to be on the threshing floor. The threshing floor is where they kept all the harvest and they saved it for the night before they turned it in, right? And thieves and robbers would come and steal that. But he would be sleeping there. So Naomi tells Ruth, go to the threshing floor where he's sleeping. Get down by his feet, take the corner of the blanket and put it on over you. Now, this seems like a weird thing, but it's actually a cultural thing. It's actually something that's done. It's like, it's a proposal not for sexual relations. It's a proposal to, I would like to marry you. And what happens when Boaz wakes up is he's honored because Boaz is a little bit older. He, really, he actually says in the scripture, you're a young, beautiful woman who could very easily go and find a young man in town, and yet you honor me. End of the story is, there's some other stuff, that's why I want you to go read, but the end of the story is, he takes Ruth and Naomi into his fold and cares for them the rest of their lives. When you sow generously in your life, you also reap generously. Now there's a second principle that I want you guys to take away from this message. And it really, it circumvents every one of these messages in this series. And it's that Ruth made it to the there's more part. Let me say that again. Ruth made it to the there's more part. You remember what the title of this series is? When we come to the end of ourselves, there's more. Ruth had come to the end of herself, gave her life away in generous, extravagant generosity, and God blessed her beyond her belief. When we come to the end of ourselves, family, there's more. It's a mystery of God. It's the call of God. 
When we come to the end of ourself, when you come to the end of your beliefs, your opinions, your philosophies, your idols, your desires, when you begin to die to yourself and your plan to what me wants, and you become less so he can become more, there's more, immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine, the Bible says. Ruth was new to the whole thing. She figured it out early. And there's still time for us to figure that out, that we have to come to the end of ourselves. Because when we do, to the end of our striving, when we're willing to lose ourselves to Christ and Christ alone, there's more. There's more life. There's more love. There's more peace. There's more grace. There's more mercy. There is more extravagant generosity. Not only from yourself, but there's more extravagant generosity from a God who wants so badly to show you what more looks like. But one thing proceeds the other. You understand that? That, that we do have to learn to die, start to die to ourselves. We can't just expect we're going to get to the there's more part with no cost. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. And let me tell you, five bucks to your cousin, that's, that's easy generosity. It's the wide gate. Extravagant generosity in life. That's the narrow gate. I love, I didn't, I didn't put this quote up on the screen because it was actually in a podcast that I heard, and so it's probably not word for word, but uh, John Maxwell, who was an ex-pastor, leadership speaker, has written all sorts of books, he said this in a podcast, and I absolutely loved it. He said, like any endeavor in life where easy lies, there are a lot of people hanging out. It's a little more crowded. You're, you're going to bump elbows a little bit more. You're breathing on each other. It's just, it's really crowded in that space. But when we begin to buy into this idea of coming to the end of ourself, and it's not easy, but when we go to that place and we start to see that there is life when we give ourselves away, then we have that opportunity to get to the there's more part. Sometimes I think us as believers, we kind of settle for the scraps of just living under our own desires. And we think it's good. That's the hard part. I want to I wanna figure out what's the there's more part. And to do that means that I'm going to have to die to myself every day. I want to draw you back a few months. In January, Tim did a few messages on giving, and they were incredible. And I, I know if you were here, you think the exact same way. There were two messages that I really want to point you back to. If you're, if you're struggling with generosity, if you're struggling with even tithing and that kind of thing, go back to these two messages. One was called, You Need You To, and it was back in the end of January. And then the second one was Trustworthy. And guys, it'll change your view on why tithing and giving is important. But there was something in that first message that Tim said 
struck me then, I know it struck you if you were here, and it still strikes me today. And it was this idea that God must be first. If we ever hope to become a people, a church, a spiritual family of extravagant generosity, then we have to start running after this. God must be first. I think the reality of a life defined by generosity and maybe the life we lead where we give out of our abundance but not much more is probably closer to where we all lie. And the reason for that is an underlying propensity to make ourselves most important. A selfishness that we grew up with and quite honestly is celebrated in our culture. Have you ever heard the advice, or maybe someone said this statement, I probably have said this statement at one point in life. I have to do what's best for me, or we have to do what's best for our family. I think that statement speaks of our culture. It really does. Because you know what? I, I never heard Jesus say that, ever. All the way up to the cross, where he gave his life for you and for me. You see, we cannot come to the end of ourselves until we're willing to let God sit on the throne of our lives. When we have control, we are naturally going to lean toward sowing sparingly and selfishness. Why? Because we're human, because we're fallen, because in all reality, this is what we've been taught our whole lives. Every day when you look at your social media, this, these are the messages that are coming across they not, may not be bold in, in, in letters that say exactly that, but that's the message that's coming across. How do I become more relevant? How do I, you know, how do I look better? How do I, it's all about the me. Jesus' message is different. His idea of generosity is different. And I think if just for a moment you were to look at what that looks like, that idea of extreme generosity, you'd see that it's refreshing. You, you'd see that it's beautiful. You'd probably see that when it comes to leaving a legacy in life of things that people are going to say about you and that day that you die and they're at your funeral, can you imagine if they were talking about how extravagantly generous you were in life. With your finances, with your time, with your resources, with God on the throne of our life, that is a possibility. When we're on the throne, it's gonna be something different. I wanna look at those three areas to close and what that looks like. Number one, when you're on the throne of your life in your finances, it's gonna be a little more sparingly. We're gonna, we're gonna choose comfort. We're, we're gonna choose safe. We're, we're gonna choose to make sure we have enough in our pocket, right? But what happens when God is on that throne? We don't look at our possessions. We don't look at our finances. We don't look at our money the same way. 
because now it's just a vehicle. God has blessed and given, and we are taking care of every single person in this room. So when it gets there, then all of a sudden we can give freely and joyfully and even extravagantly at times in life. When we come to the end of ourselves, we can sow generously. And then there's more. As it comes to our time, when we are on the throne, we're planning our weekend before we even get to it. We have packed it all in, whether it's kids' sports, whether it's, you know, oh, I want to watch a game, or I'm going to mow the lawn, I'm going to do all these things. When we're on the throne of our life, it's all going to be about the things that serve us. And those things have to happen in life a little bit, right? But what happens when God is on the throne of your time? Then all of a sudden, Lord, would you like to use me this weekend? Can, can, I, can I give a couple hours maybe to a friend or to somebody in need? Over the course of these past three weeks, we had 30 people at Restore OKC where we helped plant a garden that at some point is going to create jobs for some people. And we had another 20 people go down to city care and feed the homeless and hang out with the homeless. Two hours on a Saturday and two hours on a Sunday night. Let me just tell you, it blessed my socks off. I got the, I got the more part just being there. That's what happens when we bring God into the picture and ask him, Lord, what do you want to do with my time? And then lastly, resources. What are resources? I kind of put that under the umbrella of everything else, right? Your wisdom, your knowledge, your experience, your gifts, your talents, the connections that you have. When God is first, or excuse me, when you're first in your life, we might hold on to those with a little more pride. I'm, I'm not sure I can share that. When God is on the throne, we can hold on to those things a little more lightly and give them away. Extravagant generosity in every area of our life. When we come to the end of ourselves, when we put God first, there's something that happens inside. And then we start sowing generously. Why? Because he sowed generously first. Ruth was a great example. Jesus is an even greater example. And guys, isn't that our goal? Is that why we come here on Sunday mornings? Is it just to hear a word that tickles your ear or is it actually that we want to become more like Jesus. So therein lies my challenge to you. Come to the end of ourselves. The heart changes. And we begin, begin sowing extravagant generosity into other people's lives. Because that is what we're called to. And then, 
we get that there's more. The reaping generously. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Father, thank you for this word. Thank you for this book of Ruth, Lord, that we've kind of been in now for a couple weeks. I had this overwhelming feeling this week, Lord, there's something in that story that is for each and every one of us, Father. And I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears that we might be able to see exactly what you're wanting us to see. Draw it out this week, Father. Maybe we go home and we have the time to sit in this. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would move in mighty ways because, Jesus, we don't want to just kind of have that everyday generosity of giving a few here, giving a few there, giving a little bit of my time. Lord, we want to get to the place where we are moving extravagantly in the way that we are generous to those around us, whether family, friends, those we don't even know. Father, this is what you called us to. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Those were your words. Jesus, today I pray you'd move in a mighty way in our hearts. Change us. Let us not walk out of here the same as when we came in. It's in your name I pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.